Today on the Women Mind the Water Artemis series, I'm speaking with Kim Bernard. Kim is a full-time artist based in Maine who creates installations using upcycled trash. She works with artists and communities to share the joy of making things using recycled materials. The Women Mind the Water podcast series engages artists in conversation about their work and explores a connection with the ocean. Through their stories, Women Mind the Water hopes to inspire and encourage action to protect the ocean and her creatures. I am pleased to have Kim Bernard on the Artivist Series podcast. It is a pleasure to talk to another Maine-based artist and one who is finding creative ways to upcycle materials and make others think about the impact of plastic waste. Kim has over 30 years of experience as a professional artist. She creates works of art from recycled materials. She uses a range of materials from debris that washes ashore, bicycle inner tubes, plastic bags, even bowling balls. Kim has built a mobile recycling device. She uses her pop-up cycler to encourage communities to collect plastic trash. Together, they shred the plastic and transform it into pieces that are assembled into a unique and meaningful installation for everyone to enjoy. Welcome, Kim. I am looking forward to hearing more about your work and your pop-up cycler. I'd like to begin by learning something about you. Where did you grow up? And was there a particular person or activity that encouraged your creativity? Well, I grew up in Rochester, New Hampshire, which is southern New Hampshire. I was an only child, and both of my parents were very creative, not fine artists. They didn't paint and sculpt, but they were both uh, very handy, very hands-on. My mother liked to do a lot of uh, work with fabric and knitting. Um, I learned to sew from her, and my dad could weld and build with wood. And we did a lot of making, and I learned a lot from both of them. My dad uh, taught me how to work with wood and gave me some a really good foundation how to build three-dimensionally. And uh, I would say that they were both champions of my creativity from an early age. Very nice. So has there been a change in the world of art during the past 30 years? that influenced your decision to upcycle trash into artwork? Well, heck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's been lots of changes in the art world. There's trends just like with everything else. Um, but let, let's see. Uh, the biggest changes, I would say, are that art, uh, artists make their own opportunities now in that there were gatekeepers in the past. That's a big change that I see. So with the, uh, with the internet and with artists being able to uh, sell directly to a collector, buyer, um, there's a lot more like out of the box thinking, selling, showing, exhibiting, um, and even installations. I don't even think that I knew what an installation was in my, when I was 20, a sculptural installation. So I would say one of the big changes is that artists are more inclined to make their own way in their own unique way, make their own opportunities, carve out their own path, and that viewers are interested in experiences 
And it's not all about collecting a piece of art that you hang on your wall, that sometimes it's about just having uh, an experience of an activity or being involved or a community participation. So I see that that's different than what I remember from my early days of art school. Not too long ago, I interviewed Mariah Reedick. She also is a Mainer. Mariah said living in Maine has given her a deep appreciation for nature. In art school, Mariah noticed the amount of waste that is created in the students making art. It's part of what inspired her to create her recycled landscapes. It's an ongoing art project in which she upcycles found objects. She paints landscapes on the objects, which place the objects in the landscape where they are found. And, and it also promotes the landscape. At what point in your career did you take notice of the impact that creating art can have? Ah, uh, so I think the change happened gradually in my process where I've always been um, concerned about our environment and, you know, was even as a child remembering Hootie the Owl, give a hoot, don't pollute, and, yeah. you know, the ad with the Native American, well, an actor playing a Native American with a tear right. in his eye looking at the landscape littered. So I, I remember that whole campaign from my childhood, uh, which turned to celebrating Earth Day, being aware of our environment, you know, the early conversations about climate change and sustainability. So as this has become more of an issue and uh, the issue of sustainability and climate and waste and pollution has become more of a uh, conversation publicly, I have thought more about how I want to change behavior and habits and eventually that spilled into my work. So what initially that might look like uh, trying to reduce my own waste by not buying new clothes, by buying at thrift shops instead, by not buying new cars, by buying used instead. So reducing my own consumption. But then when it came to my studio practice and I was buying new materials, raw materials, I felt like there was a real inconsistency with that. So I started to incorporate recycled materials, sometimes just out of like, wow, this is a great object. What, how can I work this in? Um, and then that eventually expanded into um, a rule of not using any raw virgin materials and using 100% recycled materials. So that's been the effort for the last, I'd say, uh, trying to go exclusively with upcycled materials, reclaimed materials for the last five years. And before that, it was more of a gradual transition into incorporating those materials into my work until I finally said, I've just got to 100% use all recycled materials in my work. It's limiting, but yeah. limit, limits are good, right? When we have too many choices, um, it's too broad, it's too much, the menu's too expansive. When we limit our choices down, um, then it's really an opportunity to figure out, like, what can I do with what I've got? What can I do with what I've got here today with this? 
Well, I don't know how limiting it is because I was working on a project recently and I didn't exactly know what I was going to use for the base and I'm driving along one of the roads nearby and I, you know, break and I say, I got to pick that up. And I had to make two trips with my car. It's like the whole, <laughs> whole landscape is full of materials. So can you define for listeners what you mean by upcycling? Yes, so let me contrast that to recycling. So when you have a plastic bottle and you drink your water out of it and you put it in your recycling bin and you um, take it to your transfer station or your dump and you put it in the recycling bin, you send it off for someone else to deal with, that's recycling. So you've done your part by sending it off in the right direction as opposed to putting it into the trash and having it go to the landfill. Unfortunately, only about 10% of the plastic that we put in the recycle bin actually gets recycled. 90% ends up in the landfill anyway, unfortunately. We could do a whole talk on just that, Pam, but let me keep going and contrast that with upcycling. So if I have that bottle and I consume the water and I put it um, into my shredder, which turns that plastic into small particles, and I put it into my extruder, and I squeeze out a sculptural line that I sculpt with and twist and turn, I have upcycled it myself. I've turned one piece of plastic that had a purpose as a water bottle into another uh, sculptural object that has another purpose. So I've done the whole the whole process. Soup to nuts. I think that's a great description. Thank you, Kim. So um, when you began to upcycle, did you learn from other artists or did you experiment on your own? So I, I've been using a lot of different materials. So the earlier materials that I was consistently working with, I'll just choose one, was bicycle inner tubes. So I was an artist in residence in the physics department at Harvard for a year and a half. And the, there's a bike shop on campus run by students and they fix bikes and flat tires and you know, they have their own kind of little internal bike shop. They keep all their bikes with holes in them from the flats. So I would go and get garbage bags filled with bicycle inner tubes and shredded them into these long spaghetti strands, spaghetti, linguine, fettuccine. I figured out how to make strands of all different diameters, figured out how to sew the inner tube material to itself with a Teflon foot for with my sewing machine. So that was 100% experimental. And then other materials that I've uh, worked with, for example, the plastic, uh, there's a lot of information. How, one of my favorite websites is Precious Plastic, and that's a, a group that has an online forum, all kinds of information about different types of plastic and melting temperatures and fusing and how to mold and the equipment and tools that are needed. So there's a lot of information out there. I can't say that uh, I have one source, but I have lots of sources that I go to. And sometimes it's just trial and error. Like if I don't know, if 
of a source to show me how to do something, I'll just start working with it and figure it out myself. It's all bound for the trash anyway. So this is where I feel like I can be really playful and experimental because what have I got to lose? So I just work it out and try things myself. And sometimes that is fruitful and sometimes it's a total bust and that's okay. What is the most interesting item you've chosen to work with and in what way did you use it? Hmm. So, oh my goodness, I have so many. Um, Okay, I'm going to grab something that's within reach. I mean, I could answer this question in many different ways. But here is a, um, an oyster, um, uh, yeah, oyster bag. Right. So this is made out of number two plastic. It's, you know, it's black. Uh, I can cut it easily. It's still got some, a little bit of dried mud on it. Someone who was interested in recycling these brought it by and asked if I could kind of experiment and put it through my shredder. So I guess really an interesting material and it's got had this whole life already and it's destined for the dump. But we figured out that this can very easily be recycled, upcycled into I could use it to create sculpture with. Um, by shredding it and putting it through my uh, extruder. But I also look at this material and think, geez, without even cutting it up, it's a beautiful object. And it could be opened up and stacked, and it, I could build structures with it. So it might not need, even need the machines that I have. So See, I think that's a great I, example of why Maine is a good place to find things to upcycle. Yeah. Because you're yeah. not gonna you're not gonna find that in Iowa, right? Well, I've got another I've got a bunch of things that are waiting. Hold on a sec. So this is a chum bag. Oh, these are very main main things, right? So this is what they put the lobster bait in when they uh, go out and go lobstering. So stinky fish goes in here. This goes in the lobster trap that goes over, you know, over the side of the boat down to the bottom. Lobsters go into the trap because they're attracted to the chum and it gets pulled up. This one is totally, well, pretty much spent. I have a friend whose husband is a lobsterman and she gave me hundreds of these. Ah, I see why there's a hole in it, right? But this is a this has great texture and color and it's free and I can turn I'll turn it into something at some point. So I have all kinds of things like that that are just waiting for an idea and time. So so where did the idea for the pop-up cycler originate? Hmm. I can't remember exactly. I think that I was obsessing on building a trailer and it seemed like a good idea to have a trailer that would bring my recycling machines around to different communities usually I you know I'll pack my tools and equipment into my vehicle uh, or van but the machines are big so they needed a bigger vehicle to travel with and 
building a trailer that could also be a workshop really for the bill. So the, the pop-up cycler has fold down sides, workbenches. So when I show up to an art center or a school library, museum, wherever I go, I have everything that I need, my equipment, I have the workbenches, uh, I have everything together, so it's the way that I bring my studio around. Got it. So the, where, maybe I should have asked, but I didn't know this. Where did the idea of you building a recycling machine or an upcycling machine come from, or a series of machines? So I, I didn't build them. I acquired them. Um, but that was an obsession as well. So I think I obsessed for a couple of years almost on having these machines that, that turned plastic into sculptural material. So after so long of obsessing on something, I usually just make a decision and say, I'm going to regret it if I don't build these. Now this a good time or acquire these. Now is a good time and I do it. So I think that it happened at the early, just before the pandemic started. And, you know, I used that time to, I had to do a big campaign to crowdfund and come up with the funds to purchase them. They're 10 grand for the four machines. And then after I got that done, I needed something to travel around with them. So I was obsessing on building a trailer for a few months and then finally said, I'm just doing it. I'll tell you what my current obsession is. We'll see if I follow through with this. <laughs> so I'm thinking about buying a cargo van, small cargo van, and then outfitting the inside of it as a, a little camper so that I'll have what everything I need, my my little camper where I can stay, and then my pop-up cycler with my machines in it. So I'll be like a traveling, live, work studio. So would you tell me about one community where you took the pop-up cycler? Where did you take it and what sort of things did people bring to upcycle? So I have brought the pop-up cycler with my recycling machines to about 10 different communities already and I've got a lot more on my schedule to go to and the pop-up cycler the triangular trailer is pretty uh, attention getting so if I sh if I go to a school I make sure that I park the pop-up cycler where the students coming in on the buses can see so they can get excited about what's going on that day with the visiting artist. So it's as much about raising awareness and drawing the community to the project and having a, them participate as anything. So usually there's a lot of excitement when, when they see the pop-up cycler there, you know, what's going on with this thing. I mean, it's not, it's, it's a teal color and it's, it's obviously something that's been home built. It's not, it does not look like anything that a tradesperson drives around with or a camper that you'd sleep in. So it looks like a one of a kind for sure. And it's you know, got writing on it, pop-up cycler on it. So it's, it's pretty attention getting. I get a lot of looks and double looks when I'm driving down the road. Is, is there a certain level of creativity that artists need to have in order to feel comfortable about upcycling material into artwork? 
No, in fact, I think that you, uh, because it's, like I said, destined for the landfill anyway, or maybe the recycle bin anyway, it shouldn't be intimidating at all because nothing, nothing we try to do with it or build with it or experiment with it is precious. It's just plastic. And if it doesn't work out, we can shred it up and do it again. Finally, I I'd like to ask you uh, what sort of message you might share with listeners about how they might approach their use of plastic. What alternative solutions might they find in reducing their impact on the waste stream? Right. So we all know that reducing and reusing and recycling is good, but really what we, the best thing that we can do is to not use plastic whenever possible. So obviously there's times where we have to, um, but if plastic can be avoided, if instead of bringing, buying a plastic water bottle at a convenience store, bring a reusable water jug. Instead of filling up um, styrofoam plastic, uh, styrofoam coffee mug, cup, bring your own reusable cup to the you know counter to fill it up. I carry a spork in my purse, Lovely. so I never ever take a fork, knife, spoon that's made of plastic. Even doing a head to toe, where is my plastic? Like where, where am I using plastic? I have plastic glasses on. I have, let's see, maybe some plastic jewelry. Maybe there's plastic in the watch. Certainly plastic in our phones. Are my shoes made of plastic? Buttons, like just being aware of the, the way that plastic is ever present in our lives and trying to reduce. And if at all possible, not buying, at least not buying new plastic, but giving plastic that's already had a use, another use. So using any kind of a, like I have uh, ice cream containers here that now have become paint containers for touching up my pop-up cycler, right? So trying to use it again, if at all possible, just reducing our consumption of plastic, um, use something else instead whenever possible. And if it has to, you know, if you have to buy plastic, at least try to find ways to keep it out of the waste stream and the landfill. Well, thank you, Kim. I really appreciate you being on Women Mind the Water podcast. I hope listeners have enjoyed my discussion with Kim Bernard about art of plastic and community engagement in finding creative solutions to dealing with waste. I'd like to remind listeners that I've been speaking with Kim Bernard for the Women Mind the Water podcast series. The series can be viewed on womenmindthewater.com. An audio-only version of this podcast is available on the Women Mind the Water website, on iTunes, and other sites. Women Mind the Water is grateful to Jane Rice for the use of her song, Women of Water. All rights for the Women Mind the Water name and logo belong to Pam Ferris Olson. This is Pam Ferris Olson.